2: Let's do it. Last one of the year.
0: (laughs) This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes.
2: All right. Yeah, I know.
1: Twelfth day in Ambridge, my true love gave to
3: me. Twelve cakes are baking, eleven poisons leaking, ten <laughs> lambs are leaping, nine lines dancing,
1: eight parlors milking, seven poly tunnels,
3: six goslings guzzling, five herbal lays <laughs> four <laughs> charging bulls, three French cows, two bottled gins. And an arthritic
4: bottle be. Uh, oh, beautiful. brilliant! Oh, it was that lovely. was that was. So, this is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that centred in on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. This on this last episode of two thousand nineteen. I am the happy Hogname that is uh, Yoko Bear, and with me, I have the New Year's Day hangover that is
2: <laughs> Angela Barnes.
4: And the last part of our end-of-year celebration is you. Uh, this week's Dumpty Dum it was a two-parter um, from Paul Room and a special te- 12 Days of Ambridge from Anna Bradbury. Angela, if somebody wants to send us a Dumpty Dum, how can they do that?
2: If you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on oh two oh three oh three one. 3105 or leave us a message on Speakpipe. Thanks to Cosmo for his podcast roundups, to Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Derek for the loan of the back bedroom. Uh, Derek has a new year resolution this year to cut back on innuendo, but he thinks it's gonna be hard. So very, very hard. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <Beautiful. Badoom-tish>. Um <laughs> So, on this week's episode, we hear views from Claire from Clapham, Merlin, and his horny, 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 Andrew Horne.
5: Uh-huh.
4: Um, but before the cause, let's brace ourselves for Angela's Ambridge Roundup. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, the start of the week saw a tired Kenton being harassed by Lillian. And why was he tired? Because, and I quote, a senile old bird was shouting the house down. And it's funny, you see, because he could have been talking about Jolene. But we know he wasn't because Jolene has been completely silent for about six months now. And after hearing her singing, the nation has breathed a sigh of relief. No, he was, of course, referring to Eccles. Eccles the peacock kept him awake. You remember Eccles? Sure, we haven't had a peep out of him for 20 years, but he's back, keeping the neighbourhood awake and making a mess on the table and chairs. So that's how a forgotten character gets noticed, screaming all night and shitting all over the beer garden. Come on, Cathy Perks, what are you waiting for? So why (laughs) is Eccles making an appearance now? Let's just say I'm calling him Chekhov's Peacock. Watch this space. But never fear, Kenton. Lillian has arranged for pub consultant Angus Shrimpton to come and solve all the Bulls' problems on Boxing Day. Yes, a person with an imaginary job is going to give up his Boxing Day to give free advice to a country pub he's never been to. It all sounds perfectly plausible. What are you on, scriptwriters? Elsewhere, Josh finally drags himself away from whatever it is in Thailand that has rendered him unable to reply to a text message – my money's on it involving ping-pong balls – and calls Rex, and he admits that he did loan the digger to a mate but didn't bother with any paperwork. He said, I didn't know what he was planning. Well, that's as maybe, Josh, but don't tell me you didn't have alarm bells when someone wanted to borrow a digger off the record. Oh, maybe he's putting on a Christmas digger ballet or has been commissioned to dig the ditch that Boris Johnson said he'd die in. Josh then asks Rex to backdate an invoice to show to the police. And the maddest bit of all this is that Rex doesn't just tell him to stick it up his seed drill. On Monday, it's opening night of Jim's ghost stories and Alistair's worried as he's only sold four tickets and apparently two of them are to Kirsty and Philip. And we're supposed to feel sorry for him. But come on, the show must go on. Anybody who's done a student production at the Edinburgh Fringe would be grateful for four bums on seats. In the mid-90s, I did Daisy Paws It Off to two people in the audience, and one of them was the reviewer from The Scotsman. Three stars, and I quote, Angela Barnes exudes Jim Slip earnestness. True story.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Still,
2: Jazza starts press-ganging the village, and he manages to persuade Lee and Helen to go along, despite Lee's reservations that horror stories might bring back some painful memories for Helen. Oh, Lee, it's too late for Helen. She's already the mother of Damien. Sorry, Henry. The show's about to begin and the box office isn't looking too healthy until, in what can only be described as a bold move by Jazza, a minibus full of residents from the Laurels turn up to watch the show. Now, you want to be careful not to overexcite the people of the Laurels, Jazza. You could end up with more ghosts in the story than intended. But the show is a roaring success. Even Auntie Cardboard almost became animated about how much she enjoyed it. And in a turn of events almost as plausible as a business consultant's Boxing Day availability, during the show, Jasmine McCreary, yes, pig farmer Jazza McCreary, gets the collywobbles and faints. Please. The man sends pigs to slaughter and has doubtless seen scarier things than Jim can conjure up while entertaining the housewives of Borsetshire on his milk round. Do me a favour. Then it's Christmas Eve. And Tom's paranoia about his father having a fling with Joy Horville reaches fever pitch. Natasha calms him down. She says, Who could blame her if she did have a crush? He's a lovely man. And the nation said, Is she talking about Tony? Until they remembered that she was in fact married to Tom. Natasha's taste in men is only really rivaled by that of Helen Archer and Rose West. Bit too much, maybe. (laughs) We'll see. Christmas Christmas <laughs> Eve at Bridge Farm means tree decorating time because heaven forbid any Christmas cheer should be spread in that place any earlier than Christmas Eve. Pat blows the cobwebs off a box of old Christmas tat from when the kids were young because it's about kids, isn't it, Christmas? Which does beg the question, where are the kids? By my reckoning, there were six adults decorating that tree and Henry and Jack were nowhere to be seen because it might have actually been, you know, fun for them. No, they were banished to the kitchen to make fruit punch with Johnny. Great, squeezing oranges with their moping cousin. Isn't heartbreak brilliant? Happy bloody Christmas. Meanwhile, Comfort and Joy Horville is busy distributing her festive gingerbread throughout the village and pops into Bridge Farm to drop some off with a provocative single malt for Tony. Before we know it, she's already halfway up the tree, fingering their baubles, and she's wangled herself a place at the Christmas dinner table. And I, for one, reveled in Tom's disgust. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, sausage boy. Then it's Christmas Day. Now, I'm not going to say much about Christmas Day um, because while I thought Clary and Eddie's lunch at Gay Grable's with Oliver was lovely, I just couldn't shake the frustration that the good fortune of the underclass in Ambridge only ever comes from the paternalistic good deeds of a wealthy benefactor. Yes, yes, I'm happy for them that they get to stay at Grange farm, but I just wish it could have been because they had some success in their own lives rather than have some rich bloke deign to keep them in the manner to which they've become accustomed. Christmas at Bridge Farm was more cringeworthy to listen to. Uh, Tony loading up on sprouts and cream and Tom loading up on red wine. And then, while Pat popped out of the room, Joy led the company in warming up for a game of charades. Because, as everyone knows, if you don't warm up before playing charades, you could strain something, usually your will to live. And that's when Tom flips, accusing Joy and his father of flirting and being inappropriate, and for once the family call him out for the prize idiot he's being. It was all very humiliating, but not nearly as embarrassing as Helen and Lee's fake laughing a little. They definitely should have warmed up before that scene. They sounded like something off of Acorn Antiques. Then it's Boxing Day at the ball. Tensions are high. The dishwasher's packed in. Bella's resigned. Hmm, wonder if she's going to turn up in Thailand in the new year. And the world's biggest stereotype turns up on the doorstep. Angus Shrimpton, pub consultant. A man so one-dimensional, he's a line-drawing. The scriptwriters really went to town with anger, allowing us, the listener, to have a good old game of hipster bingo. Loafers, no socks, Cotswolds, Shawditch, Sausage Dogs, Flat White, Soya Milk, House. Uh, but the question on everybody's lips, how can a business consultant specialising in pubs, someone who presumably spends a lot of time in pubs, not recognise a horse brass? Even if your Metier is hipster shoreditch bars, they are rife with ironic horse brasses. What's going to trip him up next? What's that? A drip tray, you say? A beer glass? A drink? Joy is still on her gingerbread mission on Boxing Day and she pops around to Kirsty and Phil's where they end up playing, I quote, a party game for horrible people, which is definitely absolutely not Cards Against Humanity. No, no way. Presumably, there's some BBC (laughs) rules preventing them naming the actual game. So I'm guessing that later on, they settled in for a game of spelling game for boring people or asky questions to win cheese game for clever people or bankrupt bankrupt your friends game for Tory voters. I digress. Joy confides in Kirsty what happened at Bridge Farm on Christmas Day and Kirsty confides in Joy how close she came to being Mrs Sausage Boy, which they both agree was a lucky escape. Crikey, Tom, if Joy Horville thinks you're a nightmare, take a long, hard look at yourself, mate. Back at the ball, Kenton has to nip to the cash and carry to buy some tonic water, and in doing so, reverses over Eccles the peacock. Bang! Chekhov's gun has been fired. Kenton immediately hits Twitter to say, already this morning, I've hit a peacock with a 4x4. How's your boxing day going? He then calls Alistair to come over, (laughs) uh, which I suppose is better than asking Jolly and Mom to pop over with a baseball bat. Alistair arrives and declares, This peacock is no more. He has ceased to be. He's expired and gone to meet his maker. He's a stiff, bereft of life. He rests in peace. This is an ex-peacock. And Kenton swears Alistair to secrecy as he makes plans to fob Eccles off to the village as a rare Norwegian blue peacock. On Friday, Phoebe goes to see Kirsty to talk over all her troubles with rewilding. Because when you're feeling the pressure... Who else do you turn to but your dad's old flatmate that you've never, ever confided in before? Phoebe tells Kirsty about the fate of Eccles the Peacock and says that Kenton and Jolene are in bits, which can now also be said for poor Eccles. She reports that Kenton is putting about a theory that Eccles was involved in a hit and run by an erratically driven white van he saw in the village earlier and the nation screamed, Who cares? (laughs) Nobody's mentioned this bloody peacock for 20 bloody years. Phoebe then went on at Kirsty about the problems of rewilding Project for a bit more. I'd love to tell you what she said, but unfortunately her whining reached a pitch that only can be heard by dogs. Phoebe then turned up at Pips in the rain and was about as welcome on the doorstep as a flaming bag of poo. In fact, she even brought a chocolate log, which was also (laughs) about as gratefully received as the thing it sounds like a euphemism for. Meanwhile, back at Phil and Kirsty's, Gavin arrives, sons Kelly, to announce that they are getting married. Phil offers to bung him a perfectly acceptable grand towards the big day. But no, Gavin wants 20 to 30 grand for a destination wedding in Bali. Where to begin? For a start, surely all weddings are destination weddings, even if the destination is somewhere crap, like, I don't know, a dilapidated barn on a miserable farm. I'm looking at you, David. Secondly, if I spend 20 to 30 grand on something, I want at the very least to be able to drive away in it. Or if I'm in Lancashire, live in it. Now, before you start writing in, I did my research and Lancashire seems to be the cheapest place to buy in the UK. So that joke's fine. I can understand them wanting to go to Bali. It's beautiful. But I don't understand why people want to get married in these places. If there's one thing guaranteed to ruin a tropical holiday, it's having all your bloody family there. Get married in a barn, then honeymoon in Bali. Just the two of you. Why do you want your nana there moaning about the heat rash and the toilets while you're trying to enjoy the beach? I promise you, nobody's going to thank you for this. Nineteen and a half hours on a plane and a week's annual leave for your ego fest absolutely no way I'm in my 40s now I've given enough time over to weddings some of my friends are on their second weddings I haven't even had one yet and I am not giving up any more weekends of my life to be an extra in the disco scene in another wedding video but the sheer audacity to expect someone else to pay for it absolutely no bloody way Think what Philip could be spending that money on. How many Christmas decorations he could buy for 20 to 30 grand? Tell the (laughs) spoilt little prick to get over himself or get alone. The end. Brilliant.
4: (laughs) Um, Can I just say, like, I think I speak for the whole nation. when I say, oh, piss off, Gavin. (laughs) But I'm with you. I'm with you. I can't stand weddings now. I've just got to the point where I just like, in fact, from the 90s onwards, I just kind of just went off weddings. Luckily, I'm at the age now where I'm not really getting wedding invites because people are married. Yeah, it's when married. you're in your late
2: twenties and your thirties, and you suddenly realise that ten oh, weekends gosh. of the year you're spending a fortune on someone else's happy day. And I, you know, it's nice. And what I've found as well is going to weddings of friends, like their second weddings, or when they're a bit older, the weddings are much better. Like when you were all in your twenties and everyone just has the same wedding that from a magazine. You know, they're oh, really, I can't sure. remember I which know, one was yeah. which in my head, but now I, I find like a nice small wedding where it's really individual and about the couple much nicer.
4: Yeah, that's much nicer. Yeah. I did actually duck out of something once, which is I went to the kind of the, the wedding ceremony. Uh, this was again in the 90s, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't stomach the, um, the uh, the wedding reception, mainly because it was the season finale of Charmed. <laughs> so I basically prioritised that over Friends. Um, and I, I have no regrets. No. So, yes. Well
2: done. Last wedding I went to, I ended up in A&E halfway through the day. Um, <laughs> but I made it back in time for dinner. So that was, I got a little bit... Oh, my God. I wear hearing aids. And um, it was a bit after the ceremony. And, you know, we're just sort of killing time yeah. before dinner. And uh, we were—it was a lovely summer's day—and everyone was out in the in the sort of gardens of this venue. And um, I just fiddled with my hearing aid and took it out, and the little bit that's on the end of it—they call it the dome—wasn't on the end of it, and it got lodged in my ear. So I had to to go to. um, Luckily, I was driving anyway, so I I hadn't had a drink. So I drove to the nearest A and E, about half hour drive away. Went in, they managed to get it out quite quickly. They drove back to the wedding, and result, I managed to miss the speeches but got there in time for dinner. Brilliant. So I recommend that.
4: <laughs> yeah, if you get one thing, at least it's a free meal. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, unless it's the season finale of Charm, <laughs> but you know. So, um, should we listen to some caller in? Good idea. And see what they have to say.
1: Hello, Average3962.
4: Okay, the first call we've got is from Claire in Clapham.
6: Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. First, a big thank you to Yoko Bear and Andrew Horn for covering last week's show. And another thank you to Yoko Bear and Angela Barnes for covering this week's.
4: Oh, um, you haven't heard lovely it yet.
6: that we have such a broad <laughs> and talented community and everyone gets to pitch in and do a really good job. And I hope the technology is kind to you this week. I just say hello I hope so. happy Christmas and happy new year to everyone and reflect a little bit on Christmas week. I'm not going to go into the whole crazy bridge farm christmas thing except <laughs> to note that pat didn't give any credence at all to the accusations that tom was making and i thought that was quite nice because it would be really obvious and easy for her to suddenly start feeling suspicious and i just think it show's this sort of steadfastness of their relationship uh pat and tony that she's just like oh no there's nothing in this this is ridiculous tom you're being ridiculous and nice to hear tom and Natasha squabbling too because uh, Tom's an idiot isn't he really anyway other <laughs> things of note this week was a bit of a uh, rehabilitation of joy or at least a sort of more uh, humane side of her that people seem to be able to get on with her better so presumably this is a growing issue that people get to like her um, and I'd just like to make two quick predictions for the new year one is that the trendy pub consultant will say that the only good thing going for the ball was the peacock <laughs> uh that's a pretty obvious one for this next week and then in the long term please could maybe one of the people working on the extension at gyms be a female plumber or something who falls for jazza and they live happily ever after <laughs> happy new year and speak to you soon bye Ah, um, um, happy yeah.
2: christmas to you too Claire and capham
4: yes Yay. happy christmas and happy new year
2: yes indeedy
4: so I was just thinking about um, Joy, I'm getting to quite like her.
2: I See, I said this from the off, I thought we're all being too unkind, she's just a lonely yeah. lady and everyone's written her off, I think she's funny and she's, I loved it when, uh, <laughs> when she just basically went, no, not Tony, he's not tall enough,
0: I thought that was, that was <laughs> really funny,
2: Um yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I'm glad that they haven't hung about with making her a bit more of a rounded and, and nice character because it, it, she started off so one-dimensional and so just irritating. I thought they can't sustain that.
4: No, and I think also there's the mystery there as well, isn't there? And the Rochelle, Rochelle, yes. The What's Rochelle the mystery. There's been t- too many cancellations mm. and... I wonder whether that's going to be the point where we kind of really fall for Joy because she's going to have some some backstory. Yeah. Um that's going to explain a bit why she's like she is. Um and also as well, do you know, I fa- I found that she just I think the Christmas day thing mm. really turned it for me because she came across as really lovely but also very human as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, just the way she reacted to Tom, first of all, the, don't be silly, and then kind of realising, oh, my God, he actually thinks this, yeah. and then getting really upset. I really mm. felt
2: for her because she'd finally found friends in the village. She's finally found people that seem to want her around. And then Tom was just so horrible. And, and could you imagine how embarrassing that would be to show you up like that in front of a, a family that's invited you in? I really felt for her and I and as um, Claire said you know I'm so glad that Pat didn't give it even a millisecond of credence she was straight away like don't be ridiculous you know because I don't think Pat would think that of Tony Tony hasn't got the wherewithal to have an affair he can't you know
4: <laughs> I mean the whole thing about why Pat didn't give it any credence I think it's just because you just have to look at Tony and think, yeah, that's not yeah, happen, Exactly, is it?
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, there's something about his wellies really does it for a lady. Uh, <laughs> just, there's,
4: not, there's, there's nothing, no kind of spark there, I think, that would make anybody say, Cor blimey, yeah, I love a bit of Tony. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, sure, we don't know what he looks like, but he'd have to be a proper silver fox to overcome his personality defects.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I wonder as well as what it got, it got me wondering about beyond Roy, what would, what would Ambridge Tinder look like? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just be Roy like, and Joy and they can't, you
2: can't have Joy
4: and Roy. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they've blocked each other. <laughs> and then of course, and then it got to me thinking about what about, um, what about Ambridge Grinder. Um, and my theory there is just Adam on a phone that Ian doesn't know <laughs> I was about. just
2: going to say that. That's Adam on his spare phone. <laughs> I was just going to yeah. say exactly that. <laughs> oh, just just flicking through it every day, waiting to see if Charlie Thomas has come back.
4: <laughs> uh, well, we all want Charlie Thomas to come back, but, you know. Um, what did you think of the Tom thing on on? Oh, Christmas Days. Did you did you enjoy it? Because I loved it. It was
2: fun. I like loved- you want that in a Christmas episode. You want something a bit silly, and uh, and it was silly. And and Tommy's. I mean, he is a prick. You know, there's no getting away from it. He is a. He does jump to things. He does. You know, think he knows everything, and I didn't think it was at all out of character what he did. And and you know, it was flagged up early on that he was guzzling back the red wine. And um, so, yeah, it all seemed perfectly feasible to me that he would just flip out and because uh, he's a bit pissed and is, you know, seeing things that aren't there. Yeah. I thought it was funny. I mean,
4: it's, I thought it was, I thought it was the Ambridge version of the EastEnders Christmas Day episode. Like with EastEnders, <laughs> somebody normally dies, but that wouldn't, it's actually, it's just like <laughs> Tom's being a dick. That's as far as it goes. Yeah. Though I'll tell you what about the, um, EastEnders Christmas specials, you know, where people keep getting run over and stuff. Right, yeah. I've I've watched an EastEnders
2: Christmas special for about 10 years. Well,
4: I know, me neither, but I kind of, you know, you see the kind of headlines and what have you. Yeah. And a lot of people have been run over. Right. But when you look at the length of each side of that square... How does a vehicle get the speed up to actually kill anybody? That's a
2: really good point. Surely they can't be doing more than 10 miles an hour, can they?
4: (laughs) I know, exactly. I'm just like, where are they coming from? (laughs) So so always bug me that, always bug me.
2: Quick, get on the phone to the producers.
4: Absolutely. (laughs) And talking about getting on the phone, should we we have a little listen to Merlin? Let's. Hello to everyone in Dumpty Dumland from Merlin, and happy holidays
3: to you all. I had two things for this week. The first was Tom going into his diatribe at, job, <laughs> uh, at joy. While I think it's completely possible for Tom to go full men- mental jacket, <laughs> I did think that the whole storyline has gone rather quickly from him first thinking something is happening to going completely off the rails. So it seemed that storyline should have taken a lot longer. and The speed it was rushed through rather spoilt it and made it unbelievable. And then the other thing which I am Sure, everyone will be talking about is Eccles, and my first thought was it was a perfect moment for Alistair to re revisit the Monty Python Dead Parrot oh, sketch. Oh, great minds! And I could just see him when he was asked where, when Kenton asked him if the. The uh, peacock was dead. I could just hear him going, this bird wouldn't boom if you put four million volts through it. He's bleeding, demised. He's not pining. He's passed on. This peacock is no more. He has ceased to be. He's expired and gone to meet his maker. His metabolic processes are history. He's off the twig. He's kicked the bucket. He's (laughs) shuffled off this mortal coil. He is an ex-peacock. I think that would have been a much better end to the whole thing. So thank you for listening, and I will catch up with you on another occasion.
2: Oh, Merlin, I feel terrible now. I didn't. I just so everyone knows, I didn't hear the phone calls this week before I wrote the monologue. I'm hearing that for the first time. So I just did exactly that in the monologue. So great minds, Merlin. Great minds.
4: Great (laughs) minds. Also, as well, I did. I did see a tweet and I'm sorry. And if you've picked this as tweet of the week, I, I apologize. But somebody did tweet something like he's gone. Eccles. the people's peacock (laughs) the the whole the whole Tony Blair um, Princess Diana thing She really wants the peacock apart but I thought as well what I had going through my head is uh, the peacock's called Eccles and I don't know whether it shows my my age the goon (laughs) show it was like Eccles Echoes is gone, <laughs> um, but I think I think it was. I think this is a real clear case of where the scriptwriters started this plot line and then they all looked at each other and went, "Does anyone know where this is going?" Yeah. Everyone went, "No, let's just end it. Let's <laughs> just kill it." Yeah. I, well,
2: um, it was weird because I mean, I I had to look up. I just couldn't remember him being mentioned really before, and I looked at yeah. and apparently he arrived in nineteen ninety three. And then disappeared yeah. for a bit and then was replaced with other peacocks. So then they met their demise and Eccles came back. And um, so he's been around, what, 26 years, this peacock. Oh, he had a good, so he's had inning, a good innings. <laughs> um, apparently the average lifespan for a peacock in captivity is 25 years. So, you know, he was on his way out. And um, but I was just like.
4: Can I just ask that? Did, did you look that up? Or, I looked or, it up, yeah. I oh, right, just happened was... to be an right,
2: expert okay. on Peacock. No, I looked it up because I, I just thought, am I going mad? I've listened to The Archers for quite a long time and I just had completely not registered yeah. that there was a peacock at the bull. And then suddenly he was everywhere. That's why I was talking about him as, you know, Chekhov's peacock. Like, well, they're going to have to do something with him because they're mentioning him constantly. So obviously something's going to happen. But um, it just seemed very odd. That he suddenly appeared and then two days later was run over by Kenton. <laughs> Just so strange. Yeah.
4: Yes, indeed. Ah. Um sh- shall we go on to Andrew Horn? Let's do this that. is
5: our last call. Greetings, Earthlings, Andrew Horn here. Hope you all had a lovely Christmas. Um and Royfield, hope you managed to have some Christmas after spending all that time rescuing last week's recording. So A week on Monday, the 6th of January, we have the Epiphany, the Feast of the Three Wise Men. Uh, So in the meantime, by way of balance, the BBC, ever known for its balance, has given us the three unwise men, or the three twats. (laughs) Um, Tom, Angus and Gavin. Tom as predicted the Christmas day meltdown. I think we were pretty much there, uh, Yoko bear with that one last week. Um, but with the added height, the of, uh, actually having joy there and he wasn't just sniping in the background. That was really quite delicious. Um, and, uh, yes, nothing really more t- to add to that. <laughs> Angus really wound me up the way the script writers wrote him as a consultant. Um, I do a bit of consultancy. Uh, I'd like to do more if any of you have some for me. Um, you don't. The first thing you do is you listen to your clients. You understand where they think their problems are. You understand their business and what's driving it. You don't just walk in, wander around and then say, right, I'm going to come up with uh, with some inspiration. Uh, just lazy script writing. And Gavin well, I'm sorry. If he were a son of mine, I'd just throw him out. That is just unbelievably rude. Uh, no other word for it. Rude. Anyway, I'm about to run out of time. So uh, I'm going to wish you all a happy new year and speak to you all soon. Bye. Bye, Andrew.
2: Bye, Andrew. Andrew and thank you for last week, Andrew, as well. Um,
4: yes, it was fun.
2: Yeah, it sounded it. it. sounded it. Well, what the bits we got to hear. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, don't. oh, sorry. I, don't, I didn't mean um, to
2: bring that up.
4: <laughs> so, what do you think? What do you think? Any more thoughts on on the three twats of Ambridge? Well,
2: Tom. Um, yeah, obviously. It, I thought it was. It was interesting going back to what Merlin said as well about Tom that they didn't have this play out over a long time, um, which does make me think: Is it over? You know, is it? Have they done this, mm. and then might there be something that still could grow between Joy and Tony? Um, maybe because of you know, maybe this could make her think. Well, actually, I do quite. Like, I mean, I, I hope not because, mm. it, but you know, it just seemed it did seem to play out very quickly. Um, from Tom getting suspicious to it all tumbling down. So I don't know. Yeah,
4: and I, th- I may. I mean, maybe I think. I think it's a very low chance they'll go down that road. But if they, if they do, can I put a call out to the scriptwriters? Could we have the kissing and <laughs> sex implied rather than? Because then about you, but with with Liam oh, Helen, about, you know that. You know those um, you know those tubs of slime that kids get. <laughs> the kissing sounds like somebody putting their fist in and out of. Just it's just no. Because like, oh, apparently
2: it. they used to on the arch. They used to do it by kissing their hand, didn't they? But now they actually do proper kissing. Yeah. But you, it just doesn't. It doesn't carry well. Like, just let us imagine it. You know, just it sounds so horrible. It's like listening to someone eat, isn't it? It's just. Yeah. It's really stomach turning um so if we could keep that to a minimum it's when they start it oh they're still doing it
4: i know and it's just like this is radio four after all you know there's got to be some kind of standards no more of this sort of
2: down with this sort of thing is what i say (laughs) Mm.
4: um i also thought about angus Mm. i think now (sighs) Maybe I would say this, mm. but I think they did Angus as a very stereoty- stereoty- stereotypical gay character.
2: Well, I, well, I,
4: That's I don't what know if I you want gay
2: it. because did well. I actually, just said partner, didn't he? He didn't say whether his partner was male or female.
4: Yeah, um,
2: but I, I, I just I found think... it such lazy writing. It was all the yeah. like oh loafers with no socks and all the you know box ticking of a hipster and i just didn't see the point of it and it was just it was so um i mean i guess the point is going to be come back to the peacock isn't it and uh, you know it's a silly story but none of it rang true where did he come from why is he giving them a free consultation what you know why would some a professional in any capacity give up their boxing day for someone they don't know in a country pub in the middle of nowhere you know he didn't behave like a consultant. Andrew's absolutely right. That's not what a consultant, like none of it rang mm. true. And it just felt like lazy stereotype upon lazy stereotype of some, you know, shoreditch wanker. And um, yeah, it just did nothing Did for the, it just, none of it rang true.
4: No, I think also, but it did give me hope because I thought, is there a job out there that basically involves bursting into people's homes and just pointing at things and going, that shit, that shit, the curtains have got to go? Because I would love that you job. You found
2: your vocation.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll come round and tell you everything that's wrong with your house. Don't, so. But you don't wear um, loafers
2: without socks. Come on now.
4: Oh god, now I'm getting too old for that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm it's glad so, to hear it. too cold otherwise, too isn't worried. it? So... And their
2: feet must stink.
4: Oh god, yeah, oh. it's oh yeah, it's just. Uh, I used to work with somebody. This is. I want to make clear, if Anyone from, from my current job is listening. <laughs> it's not this job, but a previous job. Someone did, and he never used to do anything with the shoes. Like you know, if you don't wear with shoes, you can spray the shoes with kind of that deodorizing yeah. stuff or whatever. Oh my god! You could smell him coming. Oh, it so was just disgusting. like, oh, so yeah. Mm. So I didn't. What? What else did you like? What? What else? Is there anything else this week that you thought was worth mentioning? I
2: well, the Christmas Day episode I thought was fun, and and I, as I said in the monologue, like the the meal with Oliver and Clary and Eddie, I thought was lovely. Like, and I just mm. imagine how nice christmas lunch would be at grey gables you know and just to sit in a nice private dining room and have all the food brought to you and then to retire with um uh uh, joe's slow gin which i thought was a lovely touch you know and and it was all great and until i've just got this it's the working class chip on my shoulder which is massive and i know that but i just felt like could they not just have some good fortune in their script scriptwriters, which means they can afford to stay at Grange Farm rather than this paternalistic bollocks of Oliver deigning to allow them to stay there, you know, and pay a rent they can afford. I know it's supposed to show that Oliver's a really nice man and he is a really nice man, but just for once, can we have the underdog just be able to do well for themselves and be able to... Come through, you know, just once, yeah. and not be because some rich bloke has has been their benefactor. It just made me really cross. That,
4: yeah, I think I think also as well. It's, I mean, I've been banging on about this for, especially with the year that the Grundys have had. It was just like, yeah, just could you just stop hitting them, please, with these these kind of uh, plot lines that are just like, yeah, like, essentially saying. God, isn't it awful to be the Grundy's? And it's not awful to be the Grundy's because also when you, the thing I love about the Grundy's is that there's a real heart at the centre of their family. There's a real love and there's a real kind of Mm. camaraderie that sometimes you don't get when, you know, when you get Brian and all his kids together.
2: Yeah, all just sort of hate him. And and also as well that
4: they face problems that are just basically bailed out by the bank of mum and dad all the time um and so so whilst all of us lovely i did think what i'd really love to see this year is one of the is to hit on a business thing that actually goes really really well and for them to get proper yeah. money behind them yeah and see how they're standing in the community changes um because at the end of the day with with all the other panels yeah. it just comes down to land and money doesn't it basically that's what it's about
2: yeah Absolutely, I just want to see them. Not even, you know, I don't want to see them win the lottery. I don't want to see them become millionaires. I just want to see them be able to get by where they live. You know, keep their farm, that keep mm. Grange Farm, be able to afford to stay there. And you know, it's not out of the realms of possibility for a family like that to be able to earn enough to to stay there. So why can't they? Why does it have to just constantly be misfortune? And and it's just the bailing out that annoys me. The now they have to, you know carry on four tugging to the lord of the manor. You know, let them make their own way and let them succeed. At yeah, it no,
4: most. I think so. Be- I think um I think I think it's good that they've got some security though, because it means that we know that there's not going to be, oh my God, they've got to find somewhere else to live and all go through all that. So I think we're gonna have a bit more stable plot lines yeah. for them. But just like give them a break this year. Just give them yeah. a break.
2: Yeah. And also what'll happen when Oliver dies, you know, or if he changes his mind or whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's so precarious. Just let them have a a yeah, safe absolutely. long-term home.
4: One thing that I have been really struggling yeah. this week, and it's like Schrodinger's cat with me, is Lee and Helen. <laughs> I simultaneously want to go, oh, yes. and puke at the same time. <laughs>
2: I know what you mean. It is a bit. Um, they're making Lee say seem very sort of. You know I, what I really didn't like was that conversation mm. Pat and Tony had about Lee, and they're like, "Oh, it's not really Helen's type." I know. It's like, look at what her type's been like. Like her type has clearly not worked, has it? Oh, you'd rather her be with a psychopath or a suicidal gamekeeper or whatever he was, you know? Like, let's just give the poor bloke a chance, just because he wears white trainers and isn't a farmer. Um you know, I, I don't I hate again, it's I just mm. hate snobbishness. So all of that coming from Pat and Tony's a bit rich when they're the most dysfunctional blooming kids in the whole village, mm. you know. Um so that annoyed me a bit. And I, I sort of lightly but I just I, I very quickly after everything Helen went through, I very quickly reverted to finding her.
4: <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> took me to about four board, seconds. Like <laughs> just like- um
2: yeah, you know, for, for for a little while there, it was like, oh, I feel really bad about all the time I've spent hating Helen because she's really vulnerable and she's a. Now I'm like, oh, fuck off, Helen. I just can't. I I find her a completely unsympathetic mm. character. Um. So, at, like the part of me, I think I think the bottom line is for me that I like Lee and I don't like Helen, and so I want Lee to be happy. <laughs> And I'm totally indifferent to Helen's happiness. So if Helen does genuinely make Lee happy, then that's... I feel like I want to go to Helen and say, you hurt him I'll kill you. (laughs) Because he's a nice bloke. Mm. Don't mess it up. The
4: other thing that I kind of want to talk about a little bit as well is, uh, and even though we spoke about it last week as well, is the ghost stories. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing these. They start tonight, don't they? They do, yes. Yes. Yeah. It should be fun. I'm, I
2: love it that they do this now with the archers. They always have a little tie in.
4: Yeah. And I love the fact that they, rather than do kind of like a big production of something, they're just going to tell us three short stories. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, um, you know, there was always going to be two people that could do this. One of which was Joe Grundy, I think yes. could have done this, yeah. but in a kind of more, comic way i would yeah. have loved to have heard um joe grundy read the canterville ghost by oscar yeah. wilde yeah. that would have been amazing Aww. but but jim has he's got the, he's got that voice hasn't he that it's just like you oh. kind of tune into it
2: his voice when he sent do you remember when we were at Dum to Dumb live and he sent the um voice message to say thank you for his award and we all just melted (laughs) as soon as he spoke i know it's
4: just like yeah,
2: he has got a lovely voice
4: yeah but i've i mean i love ghost stories like one of my favorite things ever so this christmas has actually been really good for me Uh because we had um we had the christmas carol the bbc one lots Um, of people felt different
2: things about that i didn't watch it it was guy pierce wasn't it it guy pierce
4: yeah yeah was, well, how was it um I, it had some problematic moments in it right It was dark as hell right. it was like the anti anti Muppets Christmas carol basically <laughs> if you've got if you got the Muppets Christmas Carol on one end, this one would be like a thousand miles away at the end of <laughs> so, um <laughs> But it was really dark. They really ramped up the whole ghost story aspect of it. And the redemption arc was not as clear cut as, you know, one minute like Michael Caine suddenly turning up with loads of presents going, look, I'm really nice now.
6: Yeah. Um,
4: But it was really kind of nuanced. But also it was done by the the, the people that did Peaky Blinders. So it was a bit Peaky Blinders, to be honest with you. In a
2: good way.
4: Yeah, it was like it was brilliant to look at. I mean, like the sets were incredible, Um, and there's this whole bits that said in Purgatory, and the way they've portrayed Purgatory as kind of like a winter forest is just—it was just amazing. It had um, Scolding, who plays Chris Carter, um, and Simon Williams, who plays Justin, Ah. were both in it with Peter Capaldi. Ah,
2: I'll give that a look. And there's a new um, Dracula coming as well, isn't there? I
4: know that looks so. A good. A new
2: Stephen Moffat Dracula, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. That should be fun.
4: Yeah, because I mean, let's face it, the rest of <laughs> the Christmas TV was rubbish. <laughs>
2: but... our, our genuinely, our telly's broken, so really? um, we we can watch things obviously on catch up on on the internet, but our actual tellys. But so we just didn't watch any telly over Christmas. It was lovely. You just
4: not had the telly on at all. Well, I've I've actually got rid of my telly. It's kind of under the under the stairs at the moment because my brother yeah. didn't. My brother didn't have like a freeview box, um, and because he's got my nephew, he was just like, "Oh God, can I borrow your view box?" And then I suddenly realised that I can't remember the last time I actually switched TV on because I watch everything on either laptop or iPad. Yeah,
0: um,
4: and you can pretty much get everything. There's nothing that you yeah. can't really watch, so um, I just put more bookshelves up where the TV was.
2: <laughs> yeah, same really. We just we we watch things. Matt's got a PlayStation, so we watch things yeah. like on the physical telly, but all through sort of iPlayer and all four and yeah. things like that. But um, well, you know, I've been watching. Finally, got around to watching The Crown. I still, series <gasps> one. Oh, I love, love it. it problem is matt's just not interested at all so i have to watch it when he's not in um oh. so uh yeah it's taken me a while to get through it but i'm so it's so beautiful i'm so
4: conflicted as well because i'm so not a, a royalist but i love it and then i start thinking about and then because there's matt smith and then i'm having these conflicting <laughs> thoughts going i think i'm finding prince philip attractive <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, that's not a position you ever want to find yourself
4: no, in, is it? Exactly. So oh, uh, but he's I very sort of um, dashing and haunting as Prince
2: Philip, isn't he? Yeah, Young yeah. Prince
4: Philip. Uh, mm, but it, second series gets really good as well. It's a bit, it's, oh, a, good. it's a bit darker. But then again, I know loads of men that are going through conflict for the third season coming up, because of course they have got Gillian Anderson playing Margaret Thatcher. And loads oh. of people were tweeting <laughs> oh and saying, God, oh, yeah. no, no, don't make Margaret Thatcher hot. Don't make Margaret Thatcher
2: hot. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's a nightmare.
4: Mm. So oh.
2: No, um, I love it. I do. I and I love sort of British 20th century history is my thing. So that that's sort of happening in the backdrop. It's really, I'm just on the episode now that's got the sort of sewers crisis unfolding in the background. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. I love it.
4: Have you read the David Kynaston books? Um, a historian who's oh. he's um, writing. There's three of them out, but it's a really in-depth social history of post-war Britain. Oh. Oh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you the links you would really enjoy oh, them
2: please do please do i'm um i'm gonna get in a little plug here while we're talking about this stuff because uh, i've got a history podcast that's coming out yay. in the beginning of january yay and it's with myself and john o'farrell who is a uh writer you may have heard of it he used to write uh he's one of the team on spitting image the original spitting image but he also he's just written a musical actually it's just opened in the states he's just written mrs doubtfire the musical (laughs) and um, he also wrote chicken run and so he's a comedy writer but he also writes these history books he's sort of funny history books and so i approached him ages ago about because i've been wanting to do a, a history podcast about maybe doing one and we've been recording it over the last year so we've got about 12 or 14 in the can oh, now ready to go but they're being released and it's called we are history so if you're up for it and all it is it's myself and john o'farrell in either my house or his house and each episode we take a uh something that happened in history it's that vague and we talk about it and it's not you know really it's it's sort of two mates chatting in a hopefully slightly amusing way about a thing that interests them so we've done episodes on we did uh, Vlad the Impaler, we've done the Profumo Scandal, we've done, uh, what else have we done uh, Spy Pigeons in World War 2 <laughs> um, Nudism in East Germany we've done uh, all sorts of things the Paris Commune, all sorts of things so um, if people are interested, if you follow on Twitter, it's just at We Are History Pod, and we'll be launching very very soon
4: Brilliant! Yeah, next oh, well, of weeks. I will be you. I will be listening.
2: Lovely stuff.
4: So, um, shall we go to some adverts um, and then uh, sit back and listen um, to our veteran social media specialist, uh, Millie Bell?
0: Yay! Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Good day, everyone. So, first of all, I'm going to say I hope you all have a fabulous new year. I hope 2020 is amazing for you. And I hope you stick with us at Dumpty dum Uh, We started this week by talking about what is the scariest thing you have ever experienced. (laughs) And uh, Witherspoon Wilson said, tough choice, being gay, bashed and winding up in the ER in 1983. Oh, no. Or waking up the morning after the presidential election of 2016. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Melissa (laughs) Williams said, probably living through three RA." IRA bombs whilst living in Clerkenwell. They weren't on my doorstep but close enough to feel the impact and scare the shit out of me. Uh, Paul Devlin said abseiling from the roof of the Aviva Stadium in Dublin not the scary bit, whilst wearing a very tight harness and suffering the effects of food poisoning, thanks to the culinary creativity of my beloved and much missed Grandad. I can laugh about it now. Uh, Fiona Crawford said, being the only passenger on an eight-hour car journey in Alaska, after the driver kept making suggestive remarks and jokes about kidnapping me. Oh, my God. Keith Bosusto said, canoeing down the river, loon in flood. Don't know how we survived the whirlpool. Uh, We also did a poll um, in honour of uh, Yoko Bear. And we said, who is on the money about Joy. And the results are 71% of you said Natasha is on the money and only 29% said Tom is on the money. Um, We also wondered how long it would be until someone in Ambridge learns the truth about Eccles. Now, the interesting thing with this conversation was so many people didn't seem to have any real history with echoes and said, Wah. and Wendy Wells was a very good example. She said the pub pet, wasn't he in Ambridge for about a week? Not sure anyone will notice. <laughs> now, of course, many of us have noticed echoes over the year, but clearly he hasn't resonated for everyone. And Rob Williams said, FFS Kenton, it was An accident. An accident. Um, Eleanor Serafina Unwin said, at least he didn't beat it to death with a baseball bat whilst wearing Jolene's kimono. Didn't know it was an option, (laughs) Eleanor. Thanks for that. Um, Melissa Williams said, didn't Eccles used to wind up Sid from time to time? Stephen Howlett said, maybe the trendy consultant who was not from Shoreditch will get the blame. And Megan Mm. Eliza Stott said, whenever anyone says Eccles, I just think of the character from the goon show. But seriously, Kenton, these things happen, my dear. This was actually a common theme, that, hey, accidents do happen. And finally, we wondered about Gavin. What were our thoughts on Gavin? Piss off, Gavin. With a spoon, who is <laughs> as insightful as ever said, entitled Millennial. Uh, yeah. And Teresa de Billet said, I foresee ructions between Kirsty and Philip. She will refuse to go and Philip will be forced into backing her and standing up to Gavin or risk losing her. Al Williams said, I'm not going to lie, fair play. He's a not very nice person. And Pamela Lowey Lane said, selfish in every way, unless he thinks old dad can afford to pay for everyone, all 50 guests to attend, secretly Elton John-level wealth, Having a destination wedding expects everyone to pay through the nose for flights and hotel, forcing everyone to spend what could be once in a lifetime trip money on their wedding, not a trip of their own choosing. Awful. I have to say that in um, from an Australian perspective, destination weddings seem to be de rigueur and I'm not a fan because basically it puts a lot of pressure on everyone because if you don't go, it's like you don't support the wedding. So yeah, I'm with Pamela on this one. And Jem Abram said, I saw him as a breath of fresh air. The newer writers have been given the freedom to introduce some characters like him and Joy, who are more complex than they seem at first and have some dramatic depth. Gillian Corrigan said, there's obviously a backstory there. There must be a reason he feels so entitled. Does his prospective wife know he is hitting his father up for money? So, as ever, lots and lots and lots to discuss Um, we very much appreciate your contribution, Yokel Bear and Witherspoon and I look forward to everything you say and at least one of us will um, respond hopefully. Uh, We hope you have a great new year and we hope you uh, don't get (laughs) too wasted in the celebrations and we look forward (laughs) to spending time with you in 2020 and next week, Yokel Bear will be back with you. So
4: until then, I say to you, hooroo. Oh, thank you, Millie yeah, Bell. Happy,
2: Happy New Year, Millie Bell.
4: Happy New Year. Uh, breath of fresh oh. air. No, uh, what? Just... A,
2: a stinking <coughs> fetid breath of fresh air. Maybe. It's... Yeah. I, I mean, oh. I, I think uh, Witherspoon was bang on the nose there. That's classic millennial behaviour, isn't it? Behaviour. Mm. It's that sort of. But I want something, so why can't I have it? And you know, and even if even if Philip had that money sat in the bank doing nothing with it that doesn't mean you get to have it for your wedding like it just i couldn't imagine ever ever i mean my parents don't have that sort of money but if they did i'd never have the brass balls to just ask them for it it's his he's earned it like earn your own money or get a loan or do whatever it is if you're that desperate to go but you don't just expect that from your parents titled little prick
4: yeah it's been ah. a theme all the way through, isn't it, Gavin? Yeah, it has. Mm.
2: Considering he's had about what's five minutes in total of airtime so far, <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, we really hate him. Yeah, don't
4: absolutely. We? <laughs> I'm really hoping that Kirsty does have a word with him because I just want to hear that. I want to hear because um, he I, he's not going to yeah, be used yeah. to somebody standing up to him, and it's going to be interesting. I reckon.
2: No, but I feel, I, I do, oh, I'm about to go into what happens on Monday's episode, so I'll be quiet. um oh sorry, on Sunday's episode, but I know Kirsty has a conversation with Roy and I think Roy had a point in it. I won't give too many spoilers, but, you know, you do have to be careful when you're the step-parent because it's a, you know, it's a very difficult yeah. balance that between, get when you get in between a, a parent yeah. and a child in that way and and, you know, part of me is like, yes, I do want Kirsty to put her foot down, but also it's between them really. And it's, it's not her money. You know, obviously she'll, it'll affect her. She's going to have a future with Phil if he's given 20 to 30 grand to his son. But the bottom line is his son's always going to come first. So don't drive Phil away, you know, or don't make him choose because you're unlikely to be the choice.
4: No, exactly, but yeah. yeah. So, but I think we're going to hear more of Gavin. So, mm. I think
2: so. I wonder what Kelly's like. We haven't met Kelly, have we?
4: No, I don't think so. No, I bet be... she's like
2: a princess, spoiled princess.
4: Yeah, I think... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah. So now on to tweets of the week.
2: Oh, right, hang on. I've got away from me little there we are. There it is. Okay, tweets of the week. Well, my first one is from Tweet of the Week veteran uh, Kerry Warbis, um, which just says, Fuck me, Angus has been wheeled out of the stereotype cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is what we're all thinking. Um, Sally Ronaldson, which is at Milon Fred on the Twitters, she says, R.I.P. Eccles. At least he didn't fall into water. Which uh, a <laughs> little goons reference there. Um Her Holiness Pope, Mrs. Trellis I, who is at The Only Way Is Up on Twitter, says, I love horror films, especially that scene from I Know Who You Stabbed last summer where the guy demands proper custard and the wife knives him in the stomach. Fabulous. Uh, Lee, we need to have a talk. (laughs) (laughs) You made me chuckle. Uh, Then we've got... um, this is, this tweet just was interesting to me. Uh, this is from at Janet9998. And she just said, I've been listening to the archers these 50 years and suddenly I find it odd that no one calls Kenton Ken. You're like, yeah, actually, that is quite odd, isn't it? No one's ever called him Ken or Kenny before mm, I just came along. That's You'd true. Think you think he would shorten it. Yeah. Anyway, mm. uh, the next one at Foggy Knitter on the Twitters uh, says, coming soon to the bull, ye oldie Tudor knight, centerpiece roast peacock with all the trimmings. <laughs> <laughs> then I've got at Kerno27, Kirsty working out how many trees to plant to get two people to barley. Um, <laughs> Uh, this one, at Goldie Levels, she says, uh, we haven't heard how Christmas dinner went at Brookfield without Jill. Are they all dead from food poisoning? Um, <laughs> then I've got two tweets of the week, so I don't know if you've got Go the now. fanfare. Uh, my f- oh, no, we'll... Uh, my first one is at buggy swires good old brian holding and he says basil Lyman fig i suspect pat's choice of candle would be leek and potato Which really made me laugh. <laughs> and, and my final one very very simple it's just at Kiefer glees on twitter can't believe tom turned out to be a dick where were the signs <laughs> Which just made me laugh. so they are my tweets of the week
4: brilliant fantastic um i've also got some headlines as is traditional now oh, I, came yes. across, I came across this one which was drinker threatened man with cream egg which was basically <laughs> two drinkers got into a fight and one of them brandished a cream egg as a weapon I'm it's not fun. quite sure how that would work. Um, <laughs> another one that somebody pointed out to me just because of the um, the rhyming pub burglar jailed for stealing charity tin and gin <laughs>
2: He only but, rhymes with things that only steals things that rhyme with
4: gin. Oh. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> but as it's the as it's the end of the kind of decade as well. It's the, the final Dumpty Dum of this decade.
2: Oh, it is, isn't it?
4: Yes, I thought I would go with what I think is the funniest headline that I've seen the whole decade.
2: Okay, I feel is, like there should be a drum roll
4: here. <laughs> from the daily telegraph in june 2013 right. woman woman in sumo wrestler suit assaults sex girlfriend who waved at a man dressed as a snickers bar
2: beautiful mean... like, what the hell
4: so i need
2: to know more
4: um yes so there you go so <laughs> um so Remember that you can, uh, to get in contact with us, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe or uh, on the website or call 0203 031 3105 and leave us a message. Um, you can find Royfield on the Twitters at, at Royfield. Angela is at, at. Angela Barnes. Dumpty Dum itself is at Dumpty Dum. Lucy is at Lucy V. Freeman. And I can be found at at Yoko Bear. Um Yay. and that kind of wraps it up for the week, I think. I think we Before
2: we go, Yokel Bear, have you got any New Year's resolutions?
4: Um No, not really. I did see one which I've posted on Facebook because it's just so bizarre and dark which was somebody's put a, a picture of a ghost and it says in 2020 I'm shedding my my physical vessel and becoming a void <laughs> which I thought was No, in oh, the good. current situation I'd quite like to be able
2: to do that. <laughs> I'm,
4: I'm terrible with new year's resolutions because I used to do tons and tons and tons of them. I'd be like I'm going to do this, going to do that, going to do that, mm. going to do this. And then basically I would have this huge amount of guilt. Probably it's too by much about pressure, isn't it? It's just like that 7th of January, it was just like, Oh, I'm a really crap person. Look at me, I <laughs> just so I don't it's true. Really... We all set ourselves
2: up to fail, don't we? You're absolutely right. And you just go, Oh no, just try and do your best every day. That's all you can do, isn't it?
4: I think day by day. There is something I'm going to possibly take up, but I'm being very, very kind of cagey about saying i definitely will ah. um which is that i might take up running because i need to get more exercise and have you done the couch to 5k no but this is the thing my boss at work who is this fantastic woman called joe she really is brilliant she did this last year she she started on the the couch to 5k and now she's like um proper entering marathons kind of Wow! Um, yeah she's really it's really impressive and I just sat there and thinking yeah I could probably do that I could probably do that I just could. Need to you know the I did program. the
2: couch to 5k I did it a couple of years ago and I've let it slide a bit because I'm lazy but the actual program it works like in nine weeks by the end of it and when I started the first session I did you know where you run for a minute and then you walk for a minute and a half and I was like running for a minute and by the end of it thought I was going to die and I yeah. thought, there's absolutely no way I'll be able to ever run 5K without stopping. No way. Mm. And lo and behold, within nine weeks, I was doing it.
6: It's yeah, I think I'm, so I'm
2: it. I really recommend I it. It's great. And you can download, um, like, Celebrity Voices to be your coach.
4: Oh, brilliant. It's quite
2: fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah one... Millican and so I downloaded really? her when I did it but she's my friend so I had to change it
4: because I kept <laughs> him and I to off. <laughs> yeah so no I might I might do that and I think it's uh though I did say to my brother because I said he said what's holding you back I said well I don't know it's uh, I think it's because you have to do it in the street and people will see you and i said you know and i'm quite I, i'm quite sensitive sometimes about kind of like oh are they laughing at me or, or whatever yeah oh, and there. he such suge- and my brother suggested why don't you do it blindfolded <laughs>
2: <laughs> please tell me you're not going to do that <laughs> seriously don't do it at night go go at night yeah you don't feel as vulnerable then i did it quite a lot running in the dark and you can get if you've got any particular dark places you get like a little head torch or whatever but um but yeah, you feel self conscious.
4: I live in, on quite a, uh, an isolated bit of like it's a road off a road off a road, and right. opposite there's nothing but a giant cemetery. So people tend she not to come that. down this way. <laughs> well, that's it. People tend not to. Um, oh no, they've actually they've started closing it at night because of the uh, the goth drinkers. So oh yeah, yeah. but there you go. <laughs> so I I think I think we're done, aren't we? Done. I, I think all we have are. You got any, Oh you've got no, New Year's I'm Sorry. done. I'm
2: done, I think. I um oh New Year's resolution? Not really, I don't think. Well I always you know, the usual ones to get fit and lose yeah. weight, but you know. Whatever. I'm
4: quite Not happy. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, right.
4: so This is the last Dumpty Dum of the decade. Um, Yeah. And what a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and doing the last one of the decade. Oh,
2: thank you for having me. And it's been lovely to actually do a recording with you, Yokel Bear. It's been
4: fun. Oh, no, it's been fun. And I'm really hoping we don't have the same problems we had last time. Because if Royfield sends me a message going... There's a problem with the recording. I'm just going to hide under a duvet for a week. I'll be crossing
2: everything. And I promise I'm not going to touch anything on the computer until I know it's
4: safe to do so. I'm going to just back
2: away. Back away slowly. (laughs) Back away slowly. Don't don't touch
4: anything. (laughs) Okay, so thank you. I'm going to stop the recording.